0: Weeks We've been looking at a subject called a new standard of living Um, When Jesus came to this earth as a king He did not come here just to give man um, a a feel-good or a way to heaven or um, show man uh, a new way to think or even just to offer a new belief system When Jesus showed up on the planet He showed man a new way to live, a new standard to live up to. Remember we said the word standard defined is simply a way of living. It is a system by way that you live. So when Jesus showed up, there was a certain way of living that was in the earth. And it was not according to God's original plan. It was not according to God's original intent. We know that God... In Genesis, gave man, uh, gave Adam and Eve dominion on the earth, on the planet, which means that they were now in control of the earth, and the way of life that God had given them was to be obedient to Him in ruling over the earth, and by doing that, God would take care of everything that they needed. Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, they weren't worried about what to eat, what to drink, where they were going to live. These type of mentalities were not in their thought process. So man, when he turned over this dominion, when he forfeited his authority to the enemy, lost the standard of living that God originally made to live up to. So now we saw uh, last week that man became bound by laws, became bound by do's and don'ts and religious rituals and ways of doing things. And their life was governed by these laws. And that's what determined a man uh, being righteous. And when, they, when other people looked at certain people, what they, all that they could see was the outside of a man, what they did, where they went, who they hung out with, how they talked, uh, how they communed with God, these type of things. But God never meant for man to be governed by that system. God never meant for man to only live by a list of rules, a list of do's and don'ts. Man was never intended to live that way. God still required something from man, and we saw last week he required a heart motive. It's always been about the heart. That never went away. When God introduced the Ten Commandments with Moses, He showed them, do not lie, do not steal, do not covet. Honor your father and mother. We know the Ten Commandments. But he never meant for man to simply live by that list of rules with no heart motive behind it. And so what happened was, is man began to look at themselves as by doing something right or not doing wrong things or by how they talked to people or how they dealt with people. But God was still looking for a right heart. He was still looking for true obedience, true faith, and true obedience to word is not to God's word is not in what you do and what you don't do. It's in the position of your heart and how you approach something. Do, am I choosing not to steal and not to lie because that's not that would hurt my relationship with my King? Or am I just choosing not to do that because I want to look good in front of everybody else? This was, this was the battle that now came into play. So the first thing that we looked at in this series was lordship. We looked at the position of lordship, and we saw that when you make Jesus your lord, you're not just saying something. It's not just a confession that you make so you hope that one day uh, you are good enough to get to heaven. Making Jesus your lord recognizes him as owning you and everything that you possess, every resource you have. So now we see ourselves as not belonging to us, means we don't call the shots, we don't do what we want to do, we don't live how we want to live. We do what God calls us to do, and we take every resource and everything that is made available to us to pursue his kingdom. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom, and his righteousness and all these things will be added. But why are those things added? Those things are added for you to help you advance the kingdom. They're not added so you can say, look at me, I have all these things. So the, the time and the resources, the possessions, the cars, the homes, the money, all of that comes into play so we can help advance and pursue the kingdom. And as you seek first the kingdom, those things are added. And we've gotten this thing backwards, God, if you just get me this house, I can, I can do more for you. Or God, if you just give me more time. Or God, if you give me the right job. And he's saying, seek first my kingdom. The right job will come. Seek first the kingdom. The house you want will come. Seek first the kingdom. Because then he knows that the things that I'm giving you, you will do with properly. You will use them wisely. You will be a steward of the, over them for kingdom advancement. That was the first thing we looked at was lordship. The second thing we saw was that word confess. That word confess actually means to make a covenant. And a covenant is a binding legal agreement. Again, having to have two parties. So now we have entered an agreement with God. God was always looking for man to make covenant. Why was he always trying to make covenant with man? Why was that so important? Because he needs man to do his work in the earth. So now he has to enter into an agreement. Anybody that's ever been hired on to a job, anyone that's ever taken on a job, you entered into an agreement saying that they would provide you a salary if you did their work. That's very simple. That's exactly what it is. So now you've been hired on. You've come to an agreed amount of this is what I will receive for doing your work. So now we go to our jobs and we do whatever they require us to do. And because we do that, we are confident of this, that when that payday comes, we will receive our paycheck. And if you don't, somebody's going to be throwing some fits. There's going to be some, wait a minute, wait a minute, you can't withhold that from me. Why? Because you know... Now, if you were on the job sleeping, if you were on the job talking on your phone, if you were on your job doing what you wanted to do, if you were taking that time and you know running down and shopping and doing whatever you wanted to, to do and not putting the job first, you can't be so confident now. It's the covenant that makes us confident that God will provide for us. Do we see that, that how those two tie together? Without the covenant... You can do all this work and not be confident of what's coming on the other end. But thank God he's entered into a covenant with us. Amen. We saw that he entered into a covenant from the very beginning of time with Noah, uh, the Abrahamic covenant with Abraham, Moses. What's he doing? He's establishing if you do my work in the earth, if you obey me, if you are righteous, if you believe me at my word and live by it, then what? I will provide. Then what? I will make you a great nation. Then what? I will bring your people into the promised land. Then what? I will add things to you. And there's covenant all throughout Bible, all throughout the Bible. It's if you ask, you will receive. If you knock, the door will be opened. If you give, it will be given unto you. If you seek first, all things will be added. I mean, the whole the whole Bible is with covenant. There are promises behind what God is asking us to do. So we have to understand this new standard of living. We have to understand that Jesus came and showed us this is how you ought to live. And then last week we saw the good life. We identified what was this good life, what was Jesus trying to do. And the whole time he said, I'm not trying to destroy or get rid of the law. In fact, I'm here to fulfill the law. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm here to make the law applicable to your life. Because the one problem with the law was that nobody could keep it. The problem with the law was that it simply identified sin and showed you how to live, but did not give you the ability to live by it. Sure, we could do a few things here and there and tie in the... But man was never able to simply live By the law. In Galatians chapter 3, that's what Paul identified as the curse of the law. But Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and he did what? He redeemed us from that curse. The curse being we could not live according to the law. You could not fully keep the law. But now Jesus shows up, gives his life as the ultimate sacrifice to establish the covenant, and now... He's actually given us the ability to be righteous in God's eyes. It says that we are the righteousness of God in who? Christ. Christ Jesus. Why? Because of what he did. He made us righteous. He put us in that position. There's nothing you can do to erase that. So now we need to live according to that. So that's what we looked at last week. Today, I want to look at uh, practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. I'm going to talk about living out according to this new standard of living. How many of you want this standard of living evident in your life? Because I'm telling you, the old standard, no good. And you see, the world is living according to a standard it was never meant to live by. And everything's failing. And man is struggling in this attempt. I mean, everybody wants to be right. Everybody wants to do right. Everybody wants to do the right thing at the right time. If you talk to anybody, regardless of how much of a sinner they are, they want to live a right life. But this standard of living that the world, and especially here in America, what is our standard of living? Get a nice job, get married, have a few kids, dog, buy a boat, have a nice house, and retire at 55. That's the standard of living. And so what is man doing? Man is working and living and pursuing and attempting to be driven by this lifestyle that that's not what God intended for man at all. His standard of living brings us to a kingdom. His standard of living brings us to royalty. His standard of living brings us to a position seated with him in heavenly places, above all this stuff, above everything that's holding man down. So we need to live according to this new standard of living. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a very popular verse. But it states some very important things that we need to hit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're talking about a new standard of living. The, the word here... That he uses. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. This new creation comes with a new nature. Now, here's why this word nature is so important because your nature determines in your life what is natural. In your life, your nature determines what is natural, what comes natural to you. What you have to understand is immediately at salvation, your spirit is transformed, we've been looking at this, and is made new. Your spirit being is all about God. Your spirit is all about living for God, doing God's purpose, living out God's will in your life. That's what your spirit man's all about. And on Wednesdays, we've been looking at mind renewal. We've been looking at understanding how to get the inside out, and it comes by renewing our mind. Amen? But this new creation inside of us, our new nature, determines what should be natural to us. So look at this. Your spirit now, no longer tied to sin. Your spirit now is tied to God. So what should be natural is a life in the spirit. What should be natural to us is no longer a life of sin. See, before Our nature was a sin nature. Before we came into the kingdom, before we accepted Jesus as our Lord, our nature was to sin. We were automatically born from the instant we came out, screaming and crying. We were born with a sin nature. And we were born with a momentum towards sin, a momentum away from God and towards sin. Every man was born with that. The Bible says that because one man sinned, we all suffered. But thank God, one man died and made us new, and we're all new because we accept that. So when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, that nature now turns from a sin nature to a God nature, a heaven nature. Okay? That's what is natural to you. So we should no longer, it should no longer be natural for us to live according to sin. And what is sin? Disobedience. Disobedience. To the word of the king, disobedience to God. This is what Adam and Eve did. When they sinned in the garden, they simply disobeyed what God said to do. That was simply what they did. So now, this life of disobedience or this life of sin should no longer be our nature. It should no longer be natural to us to live according to this. Let's look at, um, let's go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, and this has been a passage of debate, you could say. But I want to point out what John is really saying in this passage. 1 John chapter 3, and let's start with verse 7. He says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. That's a capital H, so it's saying just as God is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. What's he trying to destroy? He's trying to destroy sin. That is what Jesus. That's what Jesus came to do. That was His purpose. Why? Because without sin, you can't be in His kingdom. And if you can't be in His kingdom, then you can't live out the standard of living He's called us to live. Let me tell you right. Let me tell you something right now. Listen to this. If we stop sinning, we put the devil out of business. Satan can do nothing to you as long as you are in right standing with God's word. Satan only has control and authority over someone if they disobey God. That's why in James he says, uh, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. The resisting is just as, much, just as important as the submitting. And many people leave that off. Resist the devil and he will flee. Not if you're not submitted in obedience to God's word. Look, if we can eradicate sin out of the world, the devil has no job. Period. You stop the devil when you stop sin. Okay? But these are some very strong words. He straight up says, if you're sinning, you're of the devil verse 9 whoever has been born of god does not sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of god verse 10 in this children of god in this the children of god and the children of the devil are manifest whoever does not practice righteousness is not of god nor is he who does not love his brother so what's he saying if you sin you're no longer a child of god no what he's saying here we have to key in on this word practice this is our key because what you practice becomes a habit and what you do habitually what you do on a regular on a regular basis is what you become a product of you are not a product of what you do occasionally okay And the goal is, is to get the word in us so much that we sin less. But what John is pointing out here is a man that practices unrighteousness. A man that practices a sin nature and a sin life. That is one where we have to, we've got to go back and say, okay, is Jesus really Lord? Because making him Lord means that he now owns you and you're walking in disobedience. You're practicing disobedience. And when it becomes a habit, we all know habits take work. Whether it's a good habit or a bad habit. Nobody immediately has a habit to start smoking because they did it once. In fact, most of the time, the first time they did it wasn't a very good experience. Drinking alcohol, I mean anything that people are addicted to or make a habit. I mean you, you don't make a habit out of being late for something, you do it a few times and then it becomes a habit. It's the same thing for good things. And it seems like the good things are harder to make a habit of than the than the bad things, right? I want to make a habit of getting up every morning at six AM, but I'm but I am a I'm in a habit of getting up every morning at nine. So what what does it take work and i don't know i think they say like 21 days of doing something before something becomes a habit okay but if you want to be known as someone that gets somewhere on time you don't do it once a week probably not two or three times probably every day with an occasional man i'm sorry overslept my alarm didn't go off we know that we we know it's not your habit to run late. Why? Because you've proven yourself to be on time more often. You are not a product. People don't look at you and say, wow, well, you know, he, he he's always late when you show up late once out of six months. Wow, well, he, he's a habit of, you know, taking a lot of sick days when you take one sick day a year. I mean, that you, you're not a product of that. So we are a product of what we do habitually, and how do you do something, how do you make something a habit, how do you do something habitually, you practice, you practice it. Any sport, any sport takes what, practice, and you know, practice is not glamorous, practice is not what most people come out, you know, fill up stadiums to watch people practice, but what are they? What are football players doing on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? And they're there every week. Why don't we go watch them do that? I mean, it's still football. Well, what do we want to see, we want to see the game. We want to see the big time. But guess what? You don't get to the big time without taking the little time in practice. And you know what? They spend more days practicing than they do playing. I don't. You know, it's the same for baseball, but baseball's got 162 games a year. So, you know, it might almost even out there. But football, you're talking 15 to 18 times a year you're playing the sport. And you're practicing probably five times as much as that. And that's not even including the preseason camps that they go to before even the season starts. And same thing with baseball. I mean, baseball starts February for some guys and runs all the way into, you know, October if they make it that far. But there's so much done behind this. What are they doing? They're practicing. Why? Because they want to make a habit of hitting home runs. They want to make a habit of scoring touchdowns. They want to make a habit of getting 10 yards and moving the chains every time. So they have to practice it to make it a habit, okay? Okay. So we've identified to come to the new standard of living, to live at this new standard, we first have to identify that we are a new creature. With a new creature comes a new nature, which means that we it should now be natural to obey our king. It should not be natural to walk in disobedience any longer. Psalms chapter 141. 141. How do we make it a habit? How do we... Practice this. Psalms, chapter 141. I love the book of Psalms, and it's extremely long. But there is a lot of good stuff in here. It's long for a reason. There's a lot of good stuff in here. David got some real good stuff out in that field. And um, so it's good to go through this. So look at this, Psalms, chapter 141. Verse 3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. So what's he saying? He's saying, I don't want to practice the evil. I don't want to practice what other men are doing. I'm going tell you right now that you practicing to live according to this new standard of living is going to go against the grain. Go ahead and know that there will be some opposition. Go ahead and be ready to do it when no one else is doing it. One thing about faith in God is a lot of times it puts you out there all by yourself. You're on his word and he's backing you up. But in the scene realm, I mean you look at Noah all by himself. He's standing alone. You look at Jesus, his own disciples ended up leaving him. But that's, what the, that's the awesome thing about God is he only needs one man. He only needs one man to change an entire generation. What could you stepping out on God's word and standing in faith do for your family, do for your kids, do for your grandchildren because of one man? Do not ever underestimate the obedience of one man. Do not ever underestimate that. So we're looking at this new standard of living. And David says here, I don't want to live according to the world. I don't want to live according to the wickedness around me. I don't want to live according to what all the wicked people are doing around me. Look at this in verse 9. Go on down to verse 9. It says, keep me from the snares they have laid for me. And from the traps of the workers of iniquity. I'm going to tell you right now, there are people around you. Who are living evil, living wicked, and they are, that is a trap and a snare to you. So we have to pull away. Jesus said himself, do not cast your pearls before swine. You have to know, you have to discern when the time is up where people you've been trying to influence are no longer receiving your influence. Because when you give somebody the word, you're doing one of two things. They can either align themselves to that word, or they're going to get pushed away from the word, period. The same thing happened with Pharaoh. Moses kept coming, and the, the more Moses came, the harder his heart got. The more Moses came to bring the word of God and said, let my people go, the harder Pharaoh fought against what God. In fact, he started bringing more problems to the Israelites. He started trying to bring more affliction, but you can't outdo God. You can't take away, you can't go past Him. You can't override Him. And there came to a point, there came a breaking point, when if Moses would have surrendered, awesome, but he never did. He got harder, and he got harder, and he got harder, and then he ended up losing. So you got to understand, verse 9 says, that the people that are around you that are living in sin and living in wickedness, that's actually, that can be a trap to you. Well, God, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to show them the kingdom. You can continue to live the kingdom, but you need to come out. we got to learn when it's time to separate. Amen? So we see that this, this new standard of living is something that we have to be practiced. Now let's go over to Psalms uh, chapter, let's go to 119. Psalms chapter 119, and something very interesting about this chapter, it's obviously the longest chapter in the Bible. I think it's 150 verses long, 150 verses long, 176 verses long, even longer than that. takes up like six pages in my Bible. And if you ever get the chance, you need to sit down and just read it. Just read it like a book. Start from the beginning and go on down. The entire chapter is about one thing. The entire chapter. He doesn't split it up. He doesn't say, let's do this part and this part and this part. The entire chapter is about one thing. Keeping God's commands. Keeping his law. The entire thing. Let's look at this in verse uh, 92. I want to start there, but I'm going to highlight some of the portions of this chapter because you're going to start to see a theme. Verse 92. Unless your law has been my delight, I would have, been, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me. For I have sought your precepts. What is, what is he saying here? He's saying, I can demand that God watch over me, guide me, lead me, and protect me. Because I have kept his laws. That word precepts. That word precepts means law. Means a command. But it gives the connotation of an agreement. A precept is a law that comes with it a responsibility to keep it. It's more than just a law. When someone gives you a precept, when his word is a precept, it is a law that carries with it the responsibility for you to keep it and for you to live by it. That's what a precept is. So David is saying here, I will never forget your precepts. I will keep them in front of me. And because I have kept them, I will not perish. Because I have kept them, you will give me life. Because I have kept them, you will save me. How many of you would love to be able to go to God and say, God, I need you to do this, and I need you to watch over this, and I need you to take care of this because I have kept your law because I have stayed in right standing with you, because I have remained in righteousness. I mean, that's why Abraham knew that he could go to a land he had never been to, that his entire family would be saved, and that he would receive the promise of being a father of many nations. Why? Because he was righteous in God's eyes. We saw last week that word righteous, that means to uh, be in right standing with the governing authority, but it means to Have faith within you. Believe in God's word. Simply stand on God's word from the inside, which causes you to live it on the outside. That's what righteousness is. If you are righteous, then you believe God at his word, and it leads you to obey it. If God's word isn't real enough and isn't good enough for you to live by it, then you're not righteous. To be righteous, you have to believe. That's why it says that the prayer of salvation makes you righteous. Why? Because I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe that he has come and lived in me to change my lifestyle, to change the way I do things, to change the way that I live. And that makes me the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's not just, yeah, I believe there's a God. No, I believe that he is God, and I believe that he lives in me, And is calling me to live differently. That's righteousness. That's believing God at his word. Then from there, it's easy. Because you can point out all the things that you've done. All the areas that you are confident in. Over in John, uh, he says that we have this confidence in him because we remain righteous. Because we have obeyed his laws. We have obeyed his commands. You know it's hard to go to God and pray. When you know there's an area of your life that's not in alignment. You know it's hard to go to God and, and ask, ask Him to help you pay a bill when you know that there's something you should have put down that you haven't. There's a confidence that's missing. We're, not, we're no longer confident in that. We're no longer confident that He can answer us, do what He's told, asked us to do, and, or uh, do what He said He would do. Why? Because you haven't held up your end of the bargain. You haven't held up your end of the agreement. That's what we were talking about in covenant. This is that covenant. I have obeyed you. I have kept your word. I have kept your commands. Now watch over me. Now take care of my children. Now provide for me. Now give me resources to advance your kingdom. It's not a demanding and saying this is what I deserve. It's a demanding in I've entered covenant with you. We're in a binding agreement. David sounds pretty confident here. He's saying, I am yours, save me. Why? Because I won't forget your precepts. I will remember the law that you have given me that now comes with the responsibility of holding to it. Let's look at some more verses here. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. Verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it, with my whole heart. Verse 133. Direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. What is, he's saying here, sin, iniquity, wickedness, it won't rule over me it won't dictate my life it won't tell me to do this when i don't want to do it and it won't cause me to live this way why because i have kept your commands keeping his word allows you to live according to it if you don't keep his word if you don't place priority and value on his word and on his commands you're going to have a hard time living according to it and you're going to fall yourself you're going to see yourself fall into sin Fall away from God. Verse 166. 119, 166. Lord, I hope for your salvation, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies for all my ways are before you. That means that he sees everything we do. He sees it all. He sees if you're obeying or disobeying. He sees if you're doing what his word says. And you know, you know, people come to church and sometimes they're looking for a word that's you have victory and you're an overcomer and you can overcome. This is the overcoming message. Because forget about me telling you you're victorious and and your new life and you're an overcomer and make it all positive. And if you go away not understanding that you have to keep his law to be that you're made that new creature you are that new natured person the problem is is we don't understand the role of his word because we looked at the law last week and we saw you can't do it on your own you have to have the new nature living inside of you but the having the new nature doesn't take away the fact that you still keep the law And that's where Jesus, that's what Jesus was having to battle with. Is people thought he was showing up on the scene and saying, look, if you just believe in me, forget about the law. You don't have to worry about not stealing. You don't have to worry about, you know, not this lying stuff. You don't have to worry about that whole honor your father and mother thing. Don't worry about that. I've made you righteous. So don't worry about what you do and what you don't. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I've made you righteous. I've given you the ability to live according to the law. So his word, everything that David is saying here, is still important. It still goes. You're not protected if you don't live according to the word. You won't be prosperous if you don't live according to the word. You won't be provided for if you don't live according to the word. And now you can. That's the exciting thing about it. This is victory. This is overcoming. This is being more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Look what David says here. Um, I think it's verse, I thought I wrote it down, but I didn't. But 119 verse 11, I think it is. 119 verse 11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Probably heard that word since we were kids. But that verse right there sums up the entire chapter. The whole thing. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about practice makes perfect. Practicing the word keeps you from practicing sin. Because we're always doing one or the other. You're either practicing the word of God and being in right standing with Him and His authority. Or we're practicing a sin life, a sin nature. We're talking about making a habit of being righteous. We're talking about making a habit of living by his law and living by his commands. And thank God he has redeemed us from that curse. He's redeemed us from living this way by living according to his word, by making us righteous. He's giving us that ability. That's exciting. So he says, hide the word in your heart. What does that mean? It says, keep it with you. Know it. A lot of things we do, sometimes we do out of ignorance. But that's why it's important to know. Because we're still going to be responsible. If I'm out on the highway and I don't pay attention to the speed limit signs, I can't tell the cop I didn't know. When, I, when he pulls me over for speeding. I'm still responsible for knowing. So let's know. Let's know the word. Thy word have I hidden in my heart. That I might not sin. That I might not disobey you. I don't want to disobey my king. So I learn his word. What does he say about this? What does he say about that? That's how I live in right standing. That is how I'm righteous. Last passage, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. This is good. This is good. We're talking about a new standard of living. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that standard of living. I'm excited about what Jesus came to bring me. He didn't just came to bring me heaven. He didn't just come to bring me, hey, there's a place I want to take you one day, but while you're on the earth, you just got to keep living the way you're living. He came to get rid of that, get rid of this whole trying to be good. And he says, I've made you good, now be good. Trying to be righteous. He says, I've made you righteous, now just be righteous. Just do it. John chapter 15, verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean. Why? Because of the word. You are already clean because of the word. His laws, his commands make you clean. Which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Who is Jesus before he came to this planet? The word of God. So what's he saying? Abide in my word. And let the word abide in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. He's saying you can't bear the fruit of the word if you're not in the word. I can't bear my fruit in you if I'm not dwelling with you. If I'm not abiding with you as the word. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. What's he saying? He's saying without me and what I'm about to do for you, you can't do this. You can't abide. You can't live by. You can't live according to. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, I mean, if you're not seeing a theme here, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done. Covenant. Covenant. Keep my words. Keep my laws. Keep my commandments. And what? You can ask whatever you want, and it will be done. That sounds like an agreement to me. That sounds like that binding agreement. That sounds like a covenant to me. Look, if you stay in my word and live according to the laws and the commands that I've given you, you'll be provided for. I will take care of you. I will give you whatever you ask. Verse 8. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. The king is glorified when you are fruitful. The farmer looks a lot better when his crop yields. The crop makes the farmer look good. Not the fact that he went out and sowed. If he takes care of it, that makes the farmer look good. So you will be my disciples. And what was a disciple? A follower, a pupil, a learner. Learning God's word should cause you to abide in it, to live by it, and then see the word bear fruit. That means showing your coworkers that you're blessed even when you shouldn't be. That things are taken care of even when they shouldn't be. That you're at peace even when everyone else is running around like a chicken with his head cut off. That's why we can live above the world's standard of living. The world has a standard. Standard is simply a system. They've got a standard. But I don't know about you, but it's not good enough for me. Because I've learned some stuff about what I ought to be living by and how I should be living according to God's word. And that should have no hold on me. That means I'm not limited by their standard. Their standard limits you. God's standard is limitless. And that's probably one of the hardest things is for us to understand us being limited people with natural limitations trying to live according to God's limitless system. To us, there's a limit on how much you can make. To much, there's a limit on how much you can bring in. To much, there's a limit on on how long your gas can go. There's a limit on how far your paycheck will go. But to God, there is no limit. And his system is limitless. His standard is limitless. That means that he can cause things to last longer than they should. He can cause things to come in when they shouldn't be coming in. He can cause things to come in from places that don't exist. This is God's kingdom. This is God's system. This is the new standard of living. Jesus came and brought it. He didn't come to show it off and say, ha-ha, wait till you get to heaven. He said, get excited because now I'm making this new standard, this new life available to you. And if we put lordship into practice, if we understand his covenant and keep in that agreement, if we understand his law and that we are to keep his commands, then we are going to live this new standard of living. Amen? We're going to live it. Father, we thank you. We thank you.